Do you want to go on a diet and lose some weight, but you're afraid of slowing down your metabolism? Metabolic adaptation is indeed one of those negative side effects of dieting that you do want to avoid as much as possible. So in this episode of the Body Might Empowerment Podcast, we're going to have another live Q&A from my YouTube channel and we're going to talk about how to avoid metabolic adaptation with intermittent fasting. Do you want to know what it is? Body Mind Empowerment get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Uh, and as you can see from the title of this uh, live stream, then uh, we're going to talk about how do you avoid metabolic adaptation with intermittent fasting. So uh, usually they describe metabolic adaptation to kind of describe this process where your body gets used to a lower caloric intake over the course of like several weeks of dieting and such and it basically means that your metabolism is slowing down and in order to maintain that you're going to have to sort of keep decreasing your calories and uh, and keep uh, eating fewer calories in order to maintain the weight loss and that happens usually with people yeah, who go on these starvation diets for too long or people who are doing too much high intensity exercise without without adequate recovery and such and and some people who are doing intermittent fasting the wrong way can also experience it but what i wanted to talk about is actually how can you how can you avoid this process with intermittent fasting in, with intermittent fasting instead so it's kind of like somewhat somewhat of an unexpected scenario of thinking that not eating and doing fasting can actually prevent uh, a slow metabolism and such which i think like if you do things correctly then uh, it can happen so uh, i'm i'm going to basically start off by talking about you know metabolic adaptation yeah occurs uh, over the course of a prolonged period of ta- of uh, dieting and it's not necessarily like a bad thing it's uh, simply your mitochondria and your body is is becoming more efficient with the calories it is burning and uh, you need less energy from food to maintain your uh, energy functioning, so to say, to maintain energy balance. And it literally is accompanied by your mitochondria becoming more efficient at uh, burning energy. And you need fewer, you fewer calories to kind of keep going. And, and the, on, the opposite, on the opposite end, if your mitochondria are inefficient, then you have this quote-unquote fast metabolism or it's very hard for you to put on weight because uh, you're kind of wasting away a lot of energy whereas on the other hand uh, with metabolic adaptation uh, you have like a quote-unquote slower metabolism but it simply means that your mitochondria are super efficient and you need less energy to keep going and you need less energy to carry out any any kind of process in the context of survival like if you are in the savanna somewhere then you would benefit from like having a slightly lower metabolism and it would accompany like uh, people think that hunter gatherers burn a bunch of calories because they're moving around all day well, in reality they're not really burning any more than an average person in the west they simply have like super efficient metabolisms and they get like nutrient dense foods that help them to uh, sustain their functioning with fewer calories so to say they eat like natural whole foods wild plants animals livers organ meats bone marrow like those sorts of stuff uh, they're like super nutrient dense but they have fewer calories and they help the body to stay healthier without having to over consume a bunch of extra calories 
so that's why that's why like in some situations it is kind of better to have a more efficient metabolism uh, but you know as we all know that in the modern world it's not necessarily the best thing because uh, you may end up packing on a bit of extra few pounds just because of that and it's more difficult for you to stick to a lower caloric intake in an environment where food is abundant and uh, it surrounds us all everywhere so to say and in, in in the context of modern life you would want to have like slightly faster metabolism because it helps you to get away with things easily and at the same time too slow metabolism or too efficient metabolism is also bad because you're eventually going to get like insulin resistance and uh, you're eventually going to predispose yourself to obesity and other metabolic disorders so the kind of the goal is to kind of strike this sort of a balance between having uh, efficient enough of a metabolism so to say that it, that it's not going to make you obese uh, whenever you overconsume a little bit of food and you're not going to have to struggle losing the weight either you have like a plenty of a buffer zone to decrease your daily caloric intake because metabolic adaptation occurs when you keep reducing your uh, caloric intake over the course of days and weeks of uh, low caloric intake, so to say. Let's say like your your basal metabolic rate for most people is about 2000 calories per day. And uh, in order to lose the weight, you would have to be consuming maybe like 1800 or 1700, somewhere around that. You know, after after a while, your, your metabolism will get used to that sort of uh, energy deficit and your basal metabolic rate will drop to maybe like 1900 calories. So in that case, to keep on losing weight, you have to kind of dramatically or you have to continuously lower the daily caloric intake as well and you maybe end up having to consume like 1500 calories so to say to lose weight and if you do it for too long if you get so efficient with uh, like a lower caloric intake then you may have to eat only like 1200 calories or 1000 calories every day just to lose weight or just to maintain as well like you're gonna end up gaining weight because your body is in like uh, in this situation where it detects okay, we're not getting enough calories, therefore we have to become super efficient with the fuel that we have, and we have to make the mitochondria more efficient, and uh, we have to kind of sp spare more energy, and we don't have anything to waste, so it's like, that That also is uh, like accompanied by this a spontaneous lack of movement or like uh, or like a decrease in the spontaneous movement so to say like non-exercise activity thermogenesis or neat that that is a like this phenomenon that, that describes you know basically fidgeting around uh, moving your body that doesn't you know count as exercise you know people some people who are uh, some people who may be burning more calories during the day they simply may be like fidgeting <laughs> uh, sporadically and they may simply like uh, move themselves around more they like may take the stairs more often they may uh, you know stand up more and they may go for longer walks or whatever it is all those things will kind of add up to the point of uh, increasing their daily caloric expenditure so to say and to prevent that from happening then uh, the, probably the best thing to do is to avoid these longer periods of severe caloric restriction because they will uh, kind of send your body to this serious energy deficit and it's going to make the body more difficult to keep losing weight, so to say, because it's, it's like uh, lowering your basal metabolic rate all the time. And what I think like the best way of circumventing that is 
to not be on these yo-yo diets, so to say. You don't want to go into like a serious energy deficit and then follow it up with a huge caloric surplus right away because it can cause a lot of rebounding and it can cause like this metabolic damage effect, so to say, that that may occur. And uh, whenever you are going on a diet, then you don't want to stay on the diet for too long. Like people say that uh, a sustainable weight loss, for, for sustainable weight loss and to avoid this sort of uh, metabolic crash, you would want to kind of gradually keep lowering your uh, energy and caloric intake over the course of like weeks and weeks to prevent like this adaptation process. But uh, in my opinion, it would be actually better to kind of lose the fat as fast as possible so you would stay on the diet for a shorter period of time as well. And then afterwards, you can exit the diet and you can return to a normal caloric intake, so to say. It's like, you know, you burn the fat really fast and uh, then you start eating normally after after that. Of course, it's, it's, it is inevitable that if you lose your body weight, if you like start weighing less, you have less weight to carry around, then your total daily energy expenditure will also be lower because you have less body weight to maintain, so to say. You don't have to, you don't have to feed your uh, fat tissue, so to say. You have less kind of uh, energy expenditure just because of having like a lower body weight. But that difference is somewhat minor compared to like uh, compared to the actual you know uh, consumption of food you would most in most cases you would actually yeah be better off by simply losing the fat and the critical component is to actually focus on losing the fat instead of just body weight because you don't definitely you don't want to be losing muscle and uh, in in that in because like muscle is burns more calories by default it also makes you more insulin sensitive and uh, it's generally healthier as well for longevity and such. So uh, how do you maintain more muscle and burn exclusively more fat when you are dieting? So uh, the, the keys of any type of diet, in my opinion, or the, the keys to any successful caloric deficit is to induce ketosis. Because when you are in ketosis, then you're shifting your metabolic furnace from burning glucose into burning fatty acids and uh, in that case if you are in ketosis then that caloric restriction isn't gonna be that harmful for your lean tissue either because uh, your you can maintain all of your cellular functioning with the presence of ketones and fatty acids so to say all the energy that your body needs can be derived from your body fat like literally the brain get can can get energy from your body fat by converting body fat into glucose as well as ketones as well as your uh, muscles can also sustain their functioning from your body fat at least for a short period of time so to say you can you can create glycogen from body fat you can uh, maintain energy balance with your body fat and such so like it's 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 it is like a quite a quite a miraculous thing that you know you literally can run on uh, just your body fat for quite a long time before you run into any troubles and even like water like hydration can also be covered <laughs> with your body fat and you don't have to even drink for several days and uh, by just converting your body fat into uh, water so yeah like uh, the keys of caloric restriction or to keys to avoiding the negative side effects of caloric restriction is to be in ketosis because if you're not in ketosis and you're eating fewer calories 
then your body's energy demands for glucose remain the same. So in that case, uh, there's like this uh, glucose-induced gluconeogenesis, so to say, that there is the demand for glucose, and because there is no glucose in the bloodstream because of like consuming fewer calories, uh, in that case, then the bodies will sacrifice some of the lean tissue to create that glucose and uh, give the brain energy because it doesn't know how to use ketones that efficiently. So, uh, like, uh, a caloric deficit with a glucose-burning metabolism is going to create gluconeogenesis by demand, and that's going to sacrifice your lean tissue just because uh, muscle isn't a priority for survival as much as fat, so to say. That's why fasting and, uh, like, a low-carb diet is uh, super, super uh, easy to kind of lose weight with because you, you don't really feel the, the negative side effects of the uh, caloric restriction either like you do suffer from of course like some energy deprivation or you have like maybe slightly more fatigue but it is because of the like the caloric restriction not not because of like the absence of carbohydrates so to say you will probably feel less hungry you will feel more mentally clear you will feel more satiated and uh, you will feel generally better uh, if you are are in a caloric deficit with uh, ketosis, and uh, that that's gonna basically help you to lose the fat faster, and that's gonna prevent the like rebounding effects as well, because if you are on a like a really serious diet for too long, then not only will you slow down your metabolism, but you will also kind of create these psychological cravings of oh I have to whenever I get the chance to eat some real food <laughs> or get, whenever I get the chance to eat some something uh, stimulating then I'm gonna overeat because I, I'm, I'm like my body has been deprived for so long and I'm gonna compensate for that and in, in my own experience then you don't really feel that when you're doing like a keto diet or when you're doing like longer fasts because you, you're kind of resetting your taste buds and you're resetting this sort of a psychological desire to eat as well you get like really satiated really fast and you don't really rebound well if you do happen to rebound uh then it it's uh mostly a matter of lack of certain minerals and electrolytes so you you can kind of circumvent that by simply making sure you get some quality like magnesium and sodium in your day so yeah that's basically it like doing fasting can, in my opinion, be really beneficial for avoiding the trap of metabolic adaptation. Uh, you can even lose... Uh, of course, there isn't like a, a lot of studies done on this, but in my opinion, like even if simply the fact of time restricting your eating window within a certain time frame, let's say within... Uh, you, you fast, you do the OMAD diet or you do the warrior diet, uh, in that case you consume your food maybe within two to four hours or one to two, one to three hours or something like that. And uh, if, even if you consume the same amount of calories, you may end up burning slightly more body fat than if you were to consume the same amount of calories with a high eating frequency, just because you're staying in ketosis for longer. And uh, you're also going to pr basically prevent any, any sort of, a, let's say, uh, overconsumption of some calories. Because, like, for, for, for instance, on OMAD and such, it is very easy to kind of, if you're fat adapted, then it's very easy to fast throughout the entire day without without feeling any different and without feeling any kind of a desire to eat. And whenever you do break your fast with OMAD, 
then you can still eat like plenty of food and you're not going to feel starving after that. Whereas, whereas on the other hand, if you consume like smaller amounts of food more frequently throughout the day, then it can simply, then it can simply kind of leave you unsatiated all the time. Uh, in the meanwhile, I'm going to pick some question as well. What do you think about OM2D? So basically like too mad, two meals a day. <laughs> uh, I think like uh, two meals a day is perfectly okay uh, as long as you still implement some time-restricted feeding. In my opinion, like the minimal window everyone should aim for is like the 16 and 8 you know like there is no real physiological reason to be eating any more frequently in most cases unless you unless you're like ser seriously malnourished or you're like anorexic or something like that in most cases most people would really be well by eating only within eight hours during the day and you know there is no real reason to be eating any more frequently than two meals either like maybe only professional athletes or something or if you're doing like really strenuous physical activity or something like that, or if you're pregnant, or if you're like an older person, or if you're or a child, or if you have some sort of a sickness, so to say, in like healthy per people, no real reason to be eating any more than two meals a day, and no real reason to be fasting any less than 16 hours. But optimally, I would s still suggest that uh, if you're doing too mad, if you're going too mad, then uh, it's still a good idea to maybe fast for like 18 hours, and that's gonna be that's gonna it, there's there's not there's not gonna be like any difference basically between 16 hours and 18 hours of fasting uh, compared to maybe like OMAD or 20 hours of fasting. But yeah, like that's somewhere where we do want to fall, and that's that that may also kind of bring up another question of should I fast? same hours all the time because that's another form of metabolic adaptation so to say if you're fasting only uh for like omad then you're eventually your body will experience a similar type of metabolic adaptation and metabolic efficiency that will lower your your kind of uh energy requirements a little bit and that's another example of your metabolic of your mitochondria becoming more efficient you will maybe experience like a five percent a decrease in your metabolic rate if you do a specific type of uh, intermittent fasting schedule for too long so to say if you're do if you're eating only one meal a day then uh, compared to doing the 16 and 8 then you may have like 5% or 10% at maximum lower basal metabolic rate compared to like uh, two meals a day and such but in my opinion it's still kind of worth it <laughs> i would still i would like i i i prefer doing a tighter eating frequency or tighter eating window just because of the health benefits as well as uh, the general fat adaptation that occurs like I don't really worry about missing out on maybe like 100 calories of food or such like I'm perfectly fine uh, having like a 100 calories lower energy requirements so to say but uh, you can also kind of prevent that from happening while still eating OMAD so to say uh, your basal metabolic rate isn't that affected by your eating frequency, so to say, but but more so about your total caloric intake and also the macronutrient ratios that you consume. Like there is there isn't gonna be any significant difference between how much how much uh, calories you burn to digest food, 
uh, when it comes to like eating your eating your food within one meal or eating your food within six meals, so to say, there's not going to be a thermic effect of food difference, and the the difference is also only going to be determined by the macronutrient ratios. So that's why I tend to propose a slightly higher protein intake. Uh, compared to the recommended daily allowance of protein, so to say, the the RDA for protein is said to be like, uh, it's maybe like zero zero point five grams per pound of lean body mass, which is like uh, one gram per pound of kilogram or something, slightly less even, like maybe maybe zero point four grams per pound, and that's like, <laughs> it, it's it it maybe is sustainable for maintaining your lean mass at a bare minimum to prevent starvation, but I don't think like it's not going to be optimal for health or it's not going to be even optimal for muscle growth, definitely. So I definitely support a slightly higher protein intake and up to maybe uh, at, at minimum like 0.7 and at maximum like 1.0 grams per pound of lean body mass for protein. And that's going to be like uh, basically very good for satiety as well as muscle growth satiety and burning some ex extra calories through the thermic effect of food as well. And the other, uh, let's say, that's like uh, the idea is that uh, this is this is going to help you to prevent the negative side effects of metabolic adaptation. And you can also circumvent that process by simply having some days where you consume slightly more calories. And that's another factor that can that can prevent this adaptation. Like you can do OMAD uh, with a few days of the week. Let's say you're doing three days of caloric deficit with OMAD and that's going to eventually make your body respond by becoming more efficient at burning energy. But if you have like a cheat day on day four or let's say not, not, not a cheat day but like a refeed day where you bump up your calories by a few hundred then you're going to prevent that from happening because your body is still detecting the presence of nutrients, so to say. So always calorie cycling is is is, is still be very beneficial for avoiding this negative uh, metabolic adaptation trap and uh, preventing uh, a slow metabolism. As long as you keep dieting and as long as you have like proper refeeds without going too crazy, <laughs> then uh, you can circumvent this process from happening entirely. And the same, ha the, and the same applies to uh, carb cycling as well. You, you, can, you can avoid the metabolic adaptation of going too low carb too lo for too long by simply having some days where you bump up your carbs and do like the cyclical ketogenic diet type of thing. So those are like really effective ways of avoiding any kind of uh, unwanted adaptations and you don't have to you don't have to stop fasting so to say like oh you don't have to feel obligated to eat breakfast or eat three meals a day just because you're worried that your body gets used to the fasting so to say I, in my opinion like the adaptation that occurs with fasting is a beneficial thing because you are becoming more fat adapted and your mitochondria are becoming more uh, able to produce produce energy from from fat and especially your body fat and you and to prevent let's say any unwanted side effects of that then you would simply you know bump up your calories on some days and on some days maybe increase your carbs as well and you don't have to stop the same uh, eating frequency so to say or you don't have to change your eating window okay let's pick another question
do, 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 do. What's your opinion on weight training while dry fasting? Uh, well, it's gonna be uh, somewhat more difficult for you to like exercise if you haven't consumed any liquids. Uh, but at the same time, like uh, it's still possible. And uh, I have like a video as well on the channel from uh, like a previous live stream where I dry fasted for 24 hours. I actually went to a sauna as well, like doing the dry fast. And I was supposed to be seriously dehydrated and such, but I didn't feel, <laughs> I didn't feel like it because I was so, I still had like plenty of energy and I actually did like a short workout. I did like handstand push-ups on the live stream against the wall and I did like maybe 18 handstand push-ups. So uh, <laughs> it comes to show that when you are fat adapted, then you don't really need to even, you don't even need, like, you don't even need to drink to perform exercise or to produce energy so to say of course you're still limited in like the total power and the total strength and such but like endurance as well as like slightly muscle endurance type of ex exercise those are perfectly fine during a dry fast they're not gonna you know you're not gonna feel that like of a huge requirement for this explosive energy that you that you would when you're when you're when you've eaten something uh, but you know, if you're doing like a shorter dry fast, then uh, it's 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 perfectly fine. Do, do, do. Could you please discuss higher protein and cancer rates? Well, like uh, I think it's uh, definitely very over exaggerated and definitely taken out of context, so to say. Uh, of course, if a person already has cancer or they have some sort of a tumor or they have some other metabolic disorder, then uh, increasing your protein intake may make it slightly worse because increased protein intake will uh, activate more the mTOR pathway and mTOR is the anabolic switch that promotes uh, growth of all cells inside the body and you know it's gonna include your mitochondria it's gonna include your muscle tissue fat tissue uh, bone strength nerves uh, I don't know eyeballs <laughs> hair growth and and that may also include like some of the uh, cancer cells so to say so it's not that the mTOR is bad or that protein is bad it's simply that you know there is also there's there's it's simply the fact that the body is already dysfunctional and it doesn't want it shouldn't grow so to say mTOR is like an all encompassing anabolic switch it makes everything grow and it doesn't differentiate between cancer cells or uh, healthy cells so to say so the, so the way to avoid that uh, would be to maybe practice some more intermittent fasting and uh, also go on a low carb ketogenic diet and uh, that's why like the standard keto diet is kind of how ha it has seen like quite good results for curing these sorts of diseases and uh, preventing preventing the uh, accumulation of them as well so uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend like going on a high protein diet that is stimulating anabolism and mTOR all the time if you have cancer so to say because uh, it, it will definitely make things it will uh, make things worse because the the uh, most preferred fuel for cancer cells are things like glucose and glutamine 
So those are the two main fuel sources. And if you go on a keto diet or if you fast for a long period of time, then you're depriving your body from those nutrients. And But, you know, your healthy cells, your muscle cells, they can function very well without glucose, so to say. And they can function very well without uh, glutamine as well for a short period of time. So that's why like a moderate protein diet on a keto diet is uh, better for cancer, so to say. But for healthy people, then uh, it's not going to matter that much. Or it's, there, is, there isn't any real data to show that that uh, that high protein diets give you cancer, so to say. And if, if you, you have to kind of look at the other lifestyle factors and the other aspects of the diet as well. Like if the person is eating a high protein diet combined with... I don't know, some processed foods, artificial sweeteners, and, uh, you know, high amounts of carbs and high amounts of fat as well, then, of course, in that case, <laughs> things may go bad. But if a person is eating only a whole foods-based diet that is, let's say, moderate carbs and uh, doesn't have, like, excess calories as well, excess empty calories, then in that case, a higher protein intake isn't going to do any bad because the body is already healthy, so to say. And higher protein diets tend to be quite good for uh, losing weight as well as uh, maintaining better biomarkers, so to say. When you get used to OMAD, it's easier than long term. Uh, I think you're referring to like long extended fast or long term fasts. Uh, yeah, like if you get used to OMAD, yeah, then like any kind of fasting becomes really simple, so to say. I would say that you still would want to have like these extended fasts of you know several days, every once in a while, like a few times a year is a good, good, good uh, thing to aim for because uh, it's like disease prevention and uh, simply uh, also clearing the blood clearing the body and going through like a short reset completely because longer fasts they've been shown to kind of really boost stem cells as well as like reset the immune system and uh, everything like that so uh, those th- those things you're not going to gain by simply eating omad you have to kind of go for longer with that being said like if you're doing low omad then you still experience let's say mild autophagy and 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 such as long as you uh, don't have like a really uh, like a processed food diet or such or something like that, in that case, your body won't experience significant autophagy or something. That's why like a low carb keto diet is really good fit for OMAD because uh, you're going to experience autophagy faster even if you're doing like the OMAD eating window. Because like there's less glycogen for your body to burn through and uh, less less energy substrates that would indicate anabolism and counteract autophagy. Let's take another question. Carnosine from red meat is beneficial, anti-aging, and good for health. Yeah. Yeah, like carnosine has indeed been shown to like be be good for fighting the advanced glycation end products or these AGEs and free radicals and things that uh, tend to accumulate 
in the food if you over process it or if you overcook it so to say and uh it's like an anti antioxidant but not necessarily and yeah red meat has carnosine but to really gain some sort of a significant benefit from carnosine then I, I i have seen that you would have to be consuming about like 1000 milligrams of carnosine a day uh but uh, you're not going to get that from uh, you're not going to de- get that much from uh, just meat so to say you would have to be consuming like too much meat <laughs> for that and in that case it's not going to be worth it so to say so i i do t- take like a carnosine supplement as an anti-aging thing sometimes but uh, as long as you if you if you if you have like a less processed food diet if you're eating only whole foods and you're not overcooking your food you're you're not like charring your bacon and you're not having like these carcinogens accumulate in the in the meat because of overcooking and then uh, it's not going to be an issue either because you're not you're not producing advanced glycation end products anyway and another thing that comes from or another source of uh, these advanced glycation end products is uh, uh, the combining uh, the glucose molecule with fats and protein, so to say. So you definitely don't want to be having sugar or fructose with meat or something or eggs or something like that, because that's going to basically create a whole lot of inflammation and uh, cause a lot of this uh, aging of the skin and and everything else. So you definitely don't want that. That's why like, I also like to think that it's generally the best idea to separate the food groups or if you're eating a low carb diet uh, the, or if you're eating meat then you should also always stay like like low carb you shouldn't combine like meat with potatoes or something because it's gonna be like a bad combo and if you are eating carbs then it's better to avoid like high amounts of protein and high amounts of meats and animal products so it's a good balance so to say if you're eating carbs then stick to mainly like a plant-based template with higher carbs lower fat and moderate protein and if you're eating meat or any other animal food so to say then stick to a low carb template and uh, avoid sugar and uh, carbs and fructose so that's like another cool thing to remember Long-term fasting is eating good, healthy protein in cells. Uh, well, like that's supposed to, what that's what's supposed to happen, so to say. That uh, the process of autophagy literally means that you're eating yourself. Uh, but you know, you don't necessarily have to be eating your lean tissue, your muscle tissue. You can safely eat only the dysfunctional cell components and you know the weak mitochondria without going catabolic towards muscle tissue. So that's why uh, you would always want to stay in ketosis whenever you are doing any type of fasting and like doing like a longer type of fasting as well. So that's why in, in my previous videos, I've also, also mentioned that like the, pre, the preparation phase for any longer fast should be to eat a somewhat of a low-carb diet for several few days before that. So you would get more into ketosis and uh, you would preserve, you would also like activate autophagy faster thanks to that as well. So you would have to spend less time fasting. But in general, you're not going to lose 
in my in my own experience you know i I haven't lost any muscle after even fasting for like several days and such while still moving around and such uh you know the the, if you are fat adapted adequately then you don't even need to trigger the gluconeogenesis process so to say of course eventually you might lose some muscle if you fast for like a week or something that's like uh inevitable or that's like a natural part of the process but you shouldn't be you shouldn't feel worried about it either like if you're if you're if you're healthy and if your autophagy is working properly then it's probably something you would want to lose anyway so to say you don't want to have like simply some unwanted dysfunctional proteins floating around your body that will simply cause inflammation and such you want to you want to kind of recycle things and you want to you want to maintain this you want you want to keep the things that are actually helping you but you you in most cases you wouldn't lose muscle if you're doing like longer fasts if you do things properly if you don't kick yourself out of ketosis or uh, if you don't kind of do some sort of crazy high intensity exercise during the process it is a good idea to do some some easier exercise during longer fasts maybe like some resistance bands and calisthenics but i wouldn't recommend going for like real hardcore weightlifting workouts because there's not going to be like any point you probably won't hit any personal records anyway so maybe take the time to kind of uh take a break so to say and allow your body to uh, get you get uh sensitive towards muscle building again Dun, dun, dun. I think the best way is to not do 16 and 8 every day, but it is better to do a 24 hours or longer. I think to make a long story short, it's all about it. Uh, well, like, you can't, you can definitely do the 16 and 8 every day. Like, that's, I think, like, the, the minimal you would want to aim for, so to say. Mm, but, uh, going for longer than that is also i think better and more optimal so i myself i myself strive towards at least like 22 or you know 20 to 22 hours fasting every day and i eat only maybe like within two to four hours but it doesn't like it's not gonna be like a strict rule so to say in some cases I may have to end up consuming maybe like the 16 and 8 or something, but uh, it's not going to be much difference. Uh, do, do carnivore diet limits your gut bacteria diversity. Uh, well, yeah, like uh, it is true, so to say, that uh, the, the gut microbiome will adapt very rapidly based on the diet you're consuming, so to say. Like the strands, they change really fast. And uh, they, like, especially if you're eating, like, a huge variety of plant matter and such, then your microbiome will be more populated or more more diverse. And if you're doing the carnivore diet, then uh, certain strands of bacteria will be simply eliminated eventually, whether that be through autophagy or something like that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's also, like, a, somewhat of a thing that we don't really know that much about. Uh, the the microbiome and you know the diversity uh, gut diversity is correlated with increased longevity and you know the 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 blue zones also have like a really diverse microbiome uh, but at the same time 
it's like whether is 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 the uh, diversity caused by you know the uh, the kind of uh, diverse diet or is it because of something else so to say because there are many things that can also affect the microbiome like uh, exercise fasting and caloric restriction and uh, stress and everything else in most cases i would i would say that uh, having some periods of kind of cutting down on your diversity isn't gonna affect you in the long term as long as you it depends on again like uh how long do you want to do the carnivore diet like if you're planning on doing it as a short-term thing then it's it will definitely be beneficial for preventing any negative side effects of lack of diversity so to say if you if you follow it up with some plant matter and such then you will still maintain your ability to digest uh, the plants and vegetables but if you're mm, doing it for very long then you may end up you know and you plan on like going back to a non-carnivorous diet an omnivorous diet then you may simply you you will probably adapt but it's going to take you like a longer time and you may simply cause some autoimmune issues that you didn't expect <laughs> so what i think is still like if you're doing a carnivore diet then it's still like you do it like in a cyclical manner and that and still have like some refit days so that's like a pretty good pretty good template to follow in terms of like uh this the cyclical manner of dieting you maybe eat a very zero carb diet mainly carnivorous for a few days of the week and then on on the other days you have like a refit day with high, higher carbs and no meat so that's that's gonna be like a pretty good pretty good uh, way of uh, keeping your microbiome uh, adaptable as well as like preventing any kind of metabolic adaptation like in that case doing this, this doing this sort of a zero carb diet followed up by a high carb refit day then that will pretty much ignite your metabolic rate as well and uh, it's it will be probably pretty good pretty good for performance as well as fat loss can i smoke in keto and autophagy uh well i wouldn't really recommend smoking because <laughs> smoking is one of the worst things you could do for your health and you know there are no real benefits to it even like the hormetic dose of smoking is basically non-existent uh you would maybe you know the the hormetic adaptation to smoke isn't gonna do you good so to say you may tolerate staying around uh the smoke but it's not gonna have like any longevity benefit so in terms of uh, autophagy it's not gonna break autophagy and uh, it's not gonna keep, it's not gonna kick you out of ketosis if that's what you're asking. But at the same time, if you're eating a ketogenic diet, then uh, I wouldn't recommend you to smoke because the smoke or the inflammation and everything that is accompanied by smoking that can actually make the the diet much dangerous, so to say. Like uh, the process of you know atherosclerosis and such is is caused by inflammation. And uh, smoking is one of those things that can make it worse. So uh, doing smoke, if you're smoking and you're eating, you know, whatever type of diet, then uh, that, that can be simply a bad sign of uh, promoting unwanted consequences on your health. 
uh, your opinion on dairy and its effects on longevity? Uh, well, let's say dairy, I wouldn't say that uh, dairy is somewhat, you know, unique or that you need to be eating dairy. Uh, there isn't going to be any significant benefit to eating, to, to consuming dairy. Let's say you may get some vitamin D from it, but uh, you will probably get more vitamin D from things like fatty fish or some uh, cold liver oil or something of like that. And, uh, you know, the uh, in terms of, like, the longevity, then uh, dairy is is also somewhat uh, anabolic. And it is one of the most anabolic foods because it's, like, high in fat and high in protein relatively to the, relative to the uh, amount you're consuming. But generally, like, uh, dairy makes the, makes the body grow. And uh, that's not necessarily always a better thing. And if you're consuming dairy, then you're not necessarily building a lot of muscle either. Like you would be better off by consuming, let's say, some some red meat or some eggs or some fish that would have like higher protein and some other essential nutrients. But the, but the, like the dairy, you you wouldn't miss out on anything else either. Like if you don't consume dairy at all, uh, then you're not going to suffer, so to say. You're you're not going to decrease your longevity if you don't consume dairy. But if you do consume dairy, then simply the fact of stimulating anabolism and maybe having some potential uh, like autoimmune uh, dysregulation as well, that that may simply be like not not a good trade-off, so to say. I myself don't really consume any dairy. I don't even consume cheese. Like of course, maybe every once in a while I have some foods that have have cheese, but I'm, I don't deliberately include it into my diet because, first of all, uh, I think like cheese is also higher in these opioids <laughs> or things that make you kind of want to consume the cheese. That's why like the pizzas and everything else, they are very. A lot of people tend to be addicted to pizza and such because like it's a combination of gluten, high amounts of carbs, high amounts of fat, high amounts of cheese. High amounts of glutamate or MSG, and you know those things. It's like hijacking your brain. So I don't, I don't, I don't really enjoy cheese that much that I would want to waste my calories on that. But uh, yeah, cheese like a good, good uh, aged cheese, like blue cheese or something. That's that can be a treat, and that can be good and at a good source of vitamin K too. But regular dairy drinking milk or something that's I don't think it's worth it but every once in a while maybe like if I were to get access to some you know raw kefir or actual raw milk or raw cottage cheese then uh, I I may take a little bit but I, I don't go out of my way to like deliberately include it into my diet because I think other nutrients are much more healthier like meat or eggs and fish and I, and I would much rather prefer to spend my calories on those. Duh. Yeah. What kind of diet would minimize or fix IBS or irritable bowel syndrome? Mm, well, definitely you would uh, want to. It's not like a matter of what you add as much as like what you exclude. What you don't do or what you don't eat is much more important <laughs> And uh, definitely the biggest suspects are gluten and lectins. Then uh, some, you know, dairy can also cause some issues. 
than wheat or grains, uh, nightshade, fish for some people, eggs for some people and such. But yeah, like from my own kind of personal research and from the results of others as well, I have to say that a short carnivore diet can be good to kind of fix it. But uh, I would say that uh, doing it in a cyclical manner is going to prevent, it's going to do it in a, like a long-term thing. You, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like you would want to go on a carnivore diet for the rest of your life. life. Uh, and I would say that it's more sustainable to do it in a, do it like a short-term elimination diet and then still introduce the plants, so to say, because if you're not able to tolerate plants, then it's a, simply a, it's simply a sign of not being as healthy as you could be or so to say it's it's simply not optimal dun, 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 dun. dairy can have hormones that can negatively affect the body like breasts and estrogen well yeah that that's that that can happen yeah and that's also like part of the uh res part of the uh effects of igf1 insulin like growth factor so dairy is it's really rich in IGF-1 and uh, that can simply make you grow breasts <laughs> or or uh, make you estrogen dominant because it is like grow, grow. It's like dairy is supposed to be like a super anabolic food for the body and be, that's why babies drink milk. All right, that's that's what they used to. Pasture-raised eggs are great for reproduction and the brain. Uh, yeah, that is, that is true. Like, uh, your brain is made of, you know, cholesterol and uh, saturated fat and such. And uh, the fatty acids or cholesterol is also uh, vital for hormonal production. So definitely uh, a diet that has adequate amounts of saturated fat and cholesterol is going to be good for, like, testosterone production as well as cognitive functioning Eggs in particular also have choline that uh, basically help the neurotransmitters to communicate better. And also like, you know, the yolks are really rich in healthy fats and uh, and such. So that's, that's, why, that's why I consume a lot of eggs, <laughs> plenty of eggs, almost every day. And uh, But I don't do it like all the time. I do have, you, you would still want to incorporate some variety every once in a while and uh, like do do days where you're not consuming certain foods so you uh, wouldn't develop any intolerance towards them so to say if you're consuming a whole lot of eggs every day then you're eventually potentially gonna get some sort of uh, autoimmune disorder just because of that so that's that's why it's a strategic thing to at least uh, every once in a every every few days, don't eat e don't eat eggs or or whatever else kind of food you're consuming. Like don't if you're eating a lot of fish, then on some days you wouldn't want to be eating fish. Or if you're eating, I don't know, a bunch of uh, a bad example, but you know you're eating a bunch of grains and bread, then on some days don't eat the bread, <laughs> or preferably don't really eat the bread and kind of minimize it. And even I would say that, you know, the same still applies to like a carnivore diet as well. Although meat is probably the least inflammatory or least uh, 
least food that causes like an autoimmune disorders, I would still say that it's a good idea to not have it all day or every day and still cycle it for, you know, metabolic flexibility and, uh, and such. And I don't care like whatever, what, what, what someone else is saying, like, uh, it's, <laughs> it's still, it's still, uh, it still matters for longevity, so to say, like, it depends on what kind of a context are we talking about. Yeah, you may still keep losing weight on a carnivore diet and such, but uh, what, what kind of, what, how it's going to affect your longevity in the long term, you know, who knows. So it's still, it's simply not a good idea to place your bets on one single thing, whether that be like a, a potato diet or an all meat diet or an all eggs diet or just like dairy diet <laughs> or something you wouldn't want to kind of eat only a single food and at the same time like the, the the myth of a balanced diet or the myth of a really variety in your diet that's also like not a good advice because a balanced diet isn't gonna give you like any significant health benefits so to say if you balance out every every macronutrient if you balance out all the food groups then you're not really gaining or like you're 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 simply not uh, doing any good that you wouldn't get from like a, a minimalistic type of diet you would simply want to focus on like uh, the basics of the nutrient density and uh, minimizing uh, energy density so to say eat eat like uh meat vegetables some fish eggs maybe a few nuts if you if you can and uh ha have some tubers maybe like a little bit of fruit every once in a while as well but there are some foods that you don't need to be consuming to be healthy so to say or you don't need to be thinking that you need to consume a whole variety of foods in order to be healthy because uh like the balanced diet is somewhat useless yeah like everything in moderation that's like a worst piece of advice like i'm gonna take some everything in moderation i'm gonna have like uh, some carbs i'm gonna combine it together with some fats and you know like we mentioned earlier in the live stream i'm gonna create a bunch of advanced glycation end products i'm gonna spike insulin i'm gonna raise inflammation a little bit everything in moderation <laughs> or uh like i'm going to uh yeah spike my insulin with these carbs and not even work out or whatever like it's 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 like a it's a it's a it's a matter of context and uh, in, in most cases you would uh, be better off by narrowing down your food options and uh, sticking to you know sticking to the foods that you know that are that don't have any negative side effects are prebiotics and probiotics essential on keto uh definitely not because uh you know the the all these pre and probiotic supplements themselves are also basically useless in my opinion they 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 may say that they promote certain strands of bacteria and such but in most people they don't even know what type of strand what type of strands uh, they want or so to say like it's not that it's not this sort of a quick fix solution that you simply throw a bunch of these random bacteria into your gut and everything is gonna start working properly like uh, you may actually cause like a dysbiosis because of that so uh if you if you're really concerned about taking a probiotic then you may want to take like a gut test before that but you can also still get 
a bunch of probiotic foods from or like yeah like you get some bunch of probiotics from natural whole foods already like sauerkraut pickles kimchi i would i would rather focus on those and they would be like really good for uh, the gut and really good energy source as well and uh, like a bunch of vitamin k2 and everything else prebiotics you can also get from things like onions and leeks and garlic so uh having them before your food can be can be a good thing but at the same time if you are suffering from let's say some constipation or bloating uh, or general dysbiosis or something or some sort of autoimmune disorder then in that case it's not a good idea to (laughs) throw more fire into the flames or throw more gasoline into the fire and uh create more bacteria in your gut so again in terms of the in terms of the gut or microbiome then in that case like a balance would be ideal but the the, but the the gut can tend to the microbiome tends to uh, balance itself out and it's going to do it by itself as long as you don't have anything to disrupt it like inflammation or some some autoimmune uh, disorders or something some inflammatory compounds or taking like a supplement let's say (laughs) 90 percent of restaurants use unhealthy cooking oils yeah that's correct like uh, I've, i've i've worked in a restaurant in the past and i do must say that uh they do use like the worst of the cooking oils like you know canola oil soybean oil and uh, things like that so those things will definitely promote inflammation and uh, they can also cause insulin resistance and such so when whenever you are at a restaurant then uh, it's not gonna it's i don't think it's not gonna be like a big deal if you eat at a restaurant maybe like uh, a few a few times per year or something but if you're eating at a restaurant every week then you would simply have to be yeah really careful of what kinds of foods you're ordering and i mean maybe asking what kind of oils they're using as well because even the olive oil at restaurants tends to be some sort of a blend between not 100% olive oil but like a mixture so wouldn't really want that kind of things in my body I've heard that organ meats have a lot of K2, but no one has measured that. Uh, yeah, they tend to have uh, quite a significant amount of K2. Mm. But yeah, they have measured it, I'm sure. Like, uh, And such, you can find some nutritional data online. But the biggest or the most significant source of K2 is actually natto, which is this fermented soybean dish from Japan. And it's basically... I've had it... And it is quite interesting. <laughs> it's like uh, t- tastes like uh, fermented cheese, and it has like a sin- quite a distinct taste and smell. But it is quite good, quite delicious. But you know the fermented foods themselves, the the reason they have this K two and uh, a bunch of B vitamins as well has to do with the bacteria in them. So they're not necessarily like. So the the reason why these fermented foods are healthy isn't because they're isn't because of like the their substance or the plant based origin. It's like because of the bacteria in them and the fermentation.
do. Alright, we've crossed the one hour mark and uh, I'm starting to wrap things up because uh, we've been going for an hour. <laughs> and uh, do you eat bacon? Uh, not really, not not really, like I don't, yeah I do like it, so to say, and I do eat maybe like pork belly and uh, bacon every once in a while, but uh, it's not like a staple in my diet. Uh, well, it's it it's it's simply maybe slightly too too calorically dense for me to consider it worth it, <laughs> so to say. That uh, I would much rather get my I would I would much rather get the same amount of calories from maybe like eggs or salmon instead of bacon. Like the taste, the taste umami taste of bacon, it is you know tastes good, but it's not gonna be. It's not going to be that high on my priorities list. Maybe a few slices of bacon every once in a while is going to be good, but uh, I definitely don't go out of my own way to <laughs> cook a lot of bacon. But a little pro tip for everyone who does it, who does eat bacon, add some cinnamon on the bacon and it's going to be tasting really delicious. It's going to taste like super something else <laughs> and it's going to be really... Uh, spiking up those taste buds. So that's gonna be my last pro tip for this live stream. Add some cinnamon to your bacon. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna also say that uh, if you want to support this, support this channel or support this podcast, then you can also head over to the Patreon and check out the uh, exclusive, exclusive uh, biohacking bootcamp videos about kind of optimizing for nutrient density as well as you know metabolic autophagy and exercise and circadian rhythms and uh, and uh, how to control your nervous system with breathing and ice ice baths and everything else like so, so there's like hours and hours of content but also like I want to say that uh, my book is also basically ready but it's going to be out next year uh, in somewhere in January, so you can stay tuned for that. And I'm also going to be traveling to Los Angeles in the end of January to uh, kind of launch the book and uh, maybe give a workshop or something like that, so you can stay tuned. Alright, thanks for joining in to the Q&A and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. Enjoy your Christmas feasts, but uh, don't overdo it so to say because you know you know the the holidays last only a few days and it's very easy to fall off the rails completely but you know after becoming fat adapted and after adopting this sort of a ketogenic fasting lifestyle then uh, i don't really feel the desire to cheat or the desire to have some sort of a massive carb day or something so it's in my opinion, really sustainable and a really uh, healthy way of eating. All right, that's it for this episode. If you want to support us, then make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. Also, you can consider becoming a Patreon and you're going to receive exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that include topics such as metabolic autophagy, circadian rhythms, biofeedback, Wim Hof method and a lot more. So check it out. But other than that, thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay optimized, stay empowered. Body Mind Empowerment. 
get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the buddy needs. Control your mind.